Hello and welcome to this 82nd episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they make their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is War of Rights by Campfire Games. Clark, who are you? What do you do? Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Clark Morningstar, and I am the historical advisor for Campfire Games, as I have been for the last two years, for the game War of Rights, focused on the American Civil War, and particularly the 1862 uh, Antietam and Maryland campaign. Very specific. Thank you very much, sir. So... Mm-hmm. The second question is actually, normally we have, this is a stock set of questions we can ask all our developers, but I've manipulated them slightly uh, to reflect your input into uh, War of Rights. So is this the first time you've interacted with video games in some way or or advised in any fictional or non-fictional medium, I should say? Well, I would have to say that I am an avid gamer myself. But uh, this would be the first game that I've actually partaken in as being part of the development of it, and much to my pleasure. Wow. So how has that been for you on the other side of the fence? Because as a consumer of video games, you know, I'm sure you, initially you thought they appeared out of thin air, but now, being on the <laughs> other side, you realize that actually, no, there's a lot of hard work and, and pain and suffering. So what's it been like? Absolutely. And fortunately, just being the historical advisor, I've been able to kind of slightly skip past uh, that little hazard, but I have certainly seen that being a developer, whether you are a character artist or a level designer or what have you, it is a very in-depth thing, and if, uh, for instance, I come up with something that, oh, by the way, that's wrong, that could mean hours of work that needs to be changed, so it's important, at least in my capacity, to make sure that I get the right information out there the first time, so that they can do it right the first time and not waste uh, some of their valuable time and energy. Yeah. Um, so you're the chap who go, see that hat you've drawn on there? That's, <laughs> that's the angle of that peak way off. They would never wear it like that. Um, I'm sorry. I'm... It's just the stitching is really bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you're not that. Uh, uh, but, uh, maybe you are. Maybe it does need to be that detail. Oh no, no, not at all. Um, uh, uh, or as uh, reenactors such as myself might call it, a stitch Nazi. Um, yes. Oh, really? Is but, what they called? I have no idea. Wow. Yes, indeed. Uh, there are in the reenacting community there are various levels of people. Uh, for right. instance, you have the Farbies, which are the people that kind of are in it just for fun and aren't really that particular about their authenticity and accuracy. And then you go all the way through to progressives and the majority, as well as all the way through to um, campaigners and stitch Nazis, the guys that are really, really hard into it. Right. And you see see that in all the various areas of, uh, well, reenacting, playing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And all sorts of uh, theatres of battle. It's quite fascinating stuff. uh, Absolutely. But, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's limits, isn't there? I mean, one minute you're saying, you know, look, I don't want to be a job's worth about this. However... They would never, you know, use that gun or hang on, that gun didn't exist yet. I mean, that's that's an obvious one, isn't it? Or maybe it isn't, because that's something most people just don't know. Period weaponry. People yeah. don't really know when, for example, I remember seeing some comments in 
you know, why have you got a Gatling gun in this game? Like, <laughs> they didn't really have them quite yet. So, well, the Gatling gun that? had already been developed. However, uh, it. Oh, sorry. No, no, carry uh, on. Well, I will just say that, yeah. unfortunately, uh, during 1862, you still had a very entrenched uh, war department and the guys, the big bugs that are going, uh, that were really uh, into the whole era of previous with the just single shot muskets and things like that and viewed anything that was able to shoot more than about three shots a minute as possibly being a waste of time and money. Um, so they were very backwards in their views considering the technological advancements and weren't really allowing through many things. So the Gatling gun, I believe the first time it was used was at the Siege of Petersburg. But beyond that, it didn't see much use in the Civil War and not until the uh, Spanish-American War did it see actual use. And see, this is the fascinating stuff that I want to tease out of you. These little... Well, this has got a grandiose detail, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> why were they using these muzzle muzzle loading? Um, is that the right phrase? Um, these, these guns that uh, mm-hmm. didn't have, you know, <laughs> you, you you had people with revolvers, <laughs> and you'd think, absolutely, why didn't you use the same technology in your rifles? I don't. <laughs> it always bothered me. Like you've got the technology in the rifle in the revolvers. Why aren't you using? I don't. Get it, and it always and it turns out it's 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 weird. It's like today, for our way of thinking, you know, in this twenty first century, we're always looking for the new stuff to the point right, exactly. where you know I've said this to other developers on on the show. If you took your my my my, my iPhone five S, actually it's a six S now. I just got a six S. If I took it back five years in the past, just five, I would be legitimately burnt as a witch. That would be. I wouldn't blame them. <laughs> what is this heresy? What is this? What is this? Like, yeah, you may want to burn me now. So, and, you know, so we. Well, look, you already got a steak set up outside the Apple Store. Well, let's do this. <laughs> let's do this. Um, Steve Jobs would like it himself. Um, but mm. the point is, the point is, it's just um, whereas you know you have to regress. Because this is at a time of the Industrial Revolution where we're only just figuring out, you know, steam technology. We only just figured out the theory of evolution and all sorts of things. It was just coming out to to the point where a patent office clerk declared that there's nothing more left to invent. I think that might be an urban uh, myth. Uh I don't know. But it's, it's, and they, you know, the the mere thought, I mean, granted, it did escalate pretty pretty badly with the First World War, uh, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, but um, yes, the, the mere fact that you had this technology, you had, you know, the ability to cause, I mean, all sorts of mayhem. And we could have shortened the war by a good two or three years. You may disagree, but I could have done if they actually just said, well, maybe if they did this and that. And like, oh, OK, well, just like the, the whole lining up and the, it could have, it wasn't, oh, astonishing. But we digress. The point is your influence in there and your, your input into the making of the game is purely a, a very important one to make it as accurate and as, uh, as representative as humanly possible. And, Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, what balance have you reached with that? I mean, have you found that to be... Uh, uh, have you got a lot of pushback from the developers in some aspects, or has it been a bit of a give and take? Well, it's... Actually, um, fortunately, the developers that I work with are absolutely awesome, and Danish, no less, so that's an added plus. Yes. But in any case, the uh, pro- the process has been very 
uh, even keeled, really. Um, and yet again, it's mostly because I make sure to have that information available before they start working on something to make sure that they don't have to do that work over and over and over again. Um, though there are several occasions where we have had to do that. For instance, um, our weapon modeler, he has had to go through several iterations of some of the weapons uh, to make sure that we have a correct-looking one that we feel is good enough to include into the game. Uh, for instance, the 1861 Springfield has gone through several iterations, and it has continued to improve. And that's actually part of what... Um, the Oregon campaign, where the developers actually came here to me and uh, came and saw and did and all that good stuff. Mm. Uh, they came, they saw, they did. <laughs> all that good stuff. But in any case, um, so they got to actually handle the weapons themselves, um, either um, 59 Sharps or the my 61 Springfield or my 58 Remington revolver. They actually got to look at it and see how it works and take it apart and all that good stuff. Um, and really see all the wonderful detail that could be included. And you can actually see a picture of that on our website of the 59 Sharps, all the added extra details that we added into it. Mm. Um, but that being said, uh, we have had to make some considerations for uh, the sake of the game. Um, for instance, if you take a look at the maps, uh, this is something I've often iterated, but the Antietam map, for one, even though it is four kilometers by four kilometers, which is the largest that CryEngine will allow us, unfortunately, we have had to actually basically take a portion out of the middle and then move the bottom up to make everything that we wanted to get in there fit right. as best as possible. Uh, so instead of where the middle bridge should be, we have the lower bridge there and all the locations in that, that whole band there. Um, but beyond that, we have done our utmost to make sure that everything is as historically authentic as possible. And there was a similar occasion that we had to do with the South Mountain map as well to get the two uh, gaps together. Okay. Or technically three gaps, but yes. I don't have everything. Space, you know, technology sometimes and desires. And so, yeah. But I think uh, the, the, the key is you're, you're trying to replicate uh, what happened at that time. Yes. To, to replicate it, to, to give the atmosphere back to the players so they understand. Well, okay. I mentioned on the Kickstarter, and not to interrupt, uh, oh, but I mentioned on the Kickstarter that it is more of a detriment to those that fought at the time and those that lived at the time to not represent it correctly than to uh, actually take the time to make sure that we get it as close as possible. Okay. Yes. So... Um, the next question is really something that uh, is more sort of um, focused on the developer's creative endeavours. But I'm going to ask you, what is the thing you latch on to most when you you, you make sure that uh, the spirit is true when 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 working on war fights? In other words, you know, what is the thing you won't really compromise on uh, so much? You say, look, we can't backtrack on this. This has to be correct because otherwise it will just undermine its its uh its uh its message what what, what would be the one thing you believe because it, it's an open-ended question but you know what i mean you know would you be okay with um them having you know only two water bottles or something like that you know what i mean just what what's the, what's the, what, what is the things you go no i'm sorry we're gonna have to 
we have to put a stop there and we have to have this what's the things you find you're kind of intransient on well in terms of intransience um there are so many things that add to a player's immersion into something, whether it is the textures or if it's a certain models or animations. Um, there's all sorts of things that a gamer or anybody that's looking at a game can say, well, that just looks stupid or, you know, it <laughs> brings them out of it. Yes. And so perhaps one thing that I would latch on to in particular would be uh, uniforms. Uniforms were incredibly varied during the Civil War. And if you take a look at the very beginning of it, you especially had tons of variations. And you had guys in the north wearing gray and guys in the south wearing blue and pink and polka dot and just all sorts of different colors. And if you take a look at some of the stories from the first Battle of Manassas or Bull Run, you saw so many stories of, well, we thought those were our guys, but it turns out they were the bad guys. So, for instance, uh, there was a Union regiment that was fighting out, and they were holding out as best they could, and up comes a blue line from behind them from outside the woods, and they were going, yeah, we got some reinforcements, until said reinforcements started shooting at them. <laughs> it turns out that that was uh, General Longstreet's uh, corps or division, and they came to join into the fray. But um, in any wow. case... Yeah, so there's all sorts of variations and uh, peculiarities to the various uniforms. Uh, if you, their uniforms will be different if you're talking about the Eastern Front versus the Western Front, where it was much more lax in terms of the regulations enforcements. Uh, the kind of hats that people would wear and the kind of clothing that people would wear, depending on which state that we they were from and which side they were from. For instance, if they were in the South, um, let's say from North Carolina, that they might have a North Carolina issue jacket. Um, or from the Virginia itself, they might have one of the various uh, Virginia-style jackets. Um, and in the North, you also had the various contracts, uh, as well as in the South. There's just so much variation um, and yet again, we are trying to do our utmost to uh, represent those as close as possible as we can. Um, and that includes also things like the equipment that people would wear. There was an actual um, preferred method of how they put their gear on. For instance, the haversack went on first, then the cartridge box, then the belt, then the um, canteen for the water uh, on the top of the belt so that they could easily get it out and drink from it. Um, there's just all sorts of variations and peculiarities that have to be represented correctly to yet again make sure that people best understand this. And people are going to be playing as the soldiers themselves, so it is very important to make sure that they get a feel for what that soldier experienced um, during the actual time yeah. and make sure that they understand it as closely as possible. Okay. So there are I, that's what I want to hear, you know. I just wanted to know what what aspect were you going to back down on, and, and it's that, you know. It's just the representative of you know, what the the visual aspect of what these people went through, what they were wearing, and what they had to put up with. So the next question is: You said you like games yourself, so this should be quite easy for you to answer without hurting anyone's feelings. Uh, <laughs> because who do you most admire in the video game industry, and why? As regards to the developers. Well, for one thing, I will say I'm absolutely terrible with names. So, <laughs> that being said, um, somebody that I particularly enjoy, though it's not an individual, would be um, 
the people behind Total War with Sega, they have done incredible jobs with their games and making sure that they're very accurate to the periods and that they do their proper research beforehand. Um, and in terms of the historical side of things, I have very little to complain about. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you did the, I mean, they did Shogun. That was the first one they did. Mm-hmm. It went on to do Medieval and Rome. Um, and I've seen Empire. Empire as well, uh, Napoleonic Wars. Um, and also, they, I've played the Warhammer one, which isn't at all historical. But um, <laughs> I had spoken to developers about that, and they said they found it very liberating because it wasn't historical. <laughs> and they could, they could throw in orcs and zombies and all sorts of nonsense. And I'm sure as a historian, you probably think, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Have at it, you know. Yes, Warhammer has a history. Let's face it, it does. And they probably don't believe that. We probably do. Uh, but it's somewhat more, more fantastical than our own. Maybe it isn't. I know some of our history is fantastical. But, uh, yeah, to have flying ribbons and uh, giant spiders. Well, um, one thing that I really enjoy, besides the fantasy yeah. part of things, is seeing the connotations that are going behind um, the lore and the history that's been made with the lore uh, to see, oh, well, they base that off of this historical context or yes. this one. Okay. Um, seeing it's really entertaining to actually uh, look into it and go, oh, I know where that's from. Oh, I know where that's from, too. Uh, for instance, <laughs> if you uh, take a look at not to get any nerds excited or anything, but Star Wars, yeah. uh, George Lucas um, himself based the uh, 4, 5, and 6 uh, mainly off of things like um, the tale of King Arthur and um, the whole Arthurian legends. Um, much of it was based off of things like that. Okay. I mean, whenever I think of King Arthur, I think of uh, Christopher Holy Grail, which is a fantastic <laughs> film. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, that wonderful scene where it says, you know, you can't base government on some having some farcical aquatic <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> Oppression! We're being oppressed! <laughs> come, come, see, come see witness the violence inherent in the system. Um, <laughs> um, I love that Shut scene. up, why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> fantastic stuff. Shut up, shut up. You call me a peasant. See that? See that? You can see that? <laughs> yeah, help, help, I'm being oppressed. Um, but um, it's, it's uh, yeah, uh, I'm, you know, Creative Assembly, I, I like you, I love, um, love those games and... Uh, um, I, I have two passions. I love board games as well, so I like uh, you know Creative Assembly. But it reminds me a lot of when I play co- uh, Colors and Commanders. I don't know if you know that game, but um, it's basically a reenactment of um, big, huge, sweeping, epic battles of the past. And you have your cavalry, you have your main units, and you have you can have teams of people fighting against each other. It's fantastic. But I just love shutting the door. On a player, they think they draw them in, and then they fall for it every single time. And like, I've got this weak little dudes; they're terrible. Come on, come on, they'll be fine. You'll be fine. Come on. And all of a sudden, I have this crush them and flank them completely with the sweet cavalry. It's just like, <laughs> come on, you know I was going to do that, right? Don't be like that. So, yeah. Hannibal's in the background going, "You're doing good, <laughs> yeah. You're doing good." <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's an old it's an old tactic. I love just doing that, like you know, hide them somewhere. No one knows they're there. Also, crush them. It's fantastic. <laughs> yes, there's a bit of friendly fire, but what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? So, <laughs> um, cool. So, what are you playing 
right now? What video games are you distracting with right now? Well, I must admit, uh, most joyously, in fact, that I am once again getting engaged into the Fallout universe with Fallout 4. Are we all? <laughs> yes, indeed. It. <laughs> <laughs> Myself and my grandmother and the whole extended family is getting into it. I feel like uh, shaking you by the hand, but I don't know. I'm pretty big. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm pulling all the right buttons. Yeah, it? yeah. It's just um, good. Good answer, sir. Good answer. Good. I know, right? I, yeah. I made sure to study up on you to make sure I got all the right ones. You could have uh, been angry birds. We went, okay, we're done. And next episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. But no, I've I've always been an incredible fan of Fallout, and um, I Why? first. In, um, sorry, I first engaged with it with Fallout 3. A friend of mine, I came over to a friend's house and he was playing it and I was almost immediately hooked on it. I was really engaged with it and I certainly really enjoy this style of and the history that they were representing. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I read about it. It's like, um, something happened in the Fallout universe that is divergent from our own history uh, well it was the same all the way up until about 45, 45 and then yeah. at that it then verged into we started actually using atomic power and invented fusion energy and things like that and it was from there divergent that's right and they had all this bulky stuff and like oh look it's like why does it all look all so bulky and horrible? Because you know, for our sensibilities, like I think should because be because Art Deco, oh. man. That's why. <laughs> exactly, <It's> like <laughs> the Art Deco, like. But it looks. Why are you? And it, you know, it's always confused <laughs> me when I when I played the first Fallout. I mean, the very very first one, and they, it's a fantastic game, and I was, I was I marvelled at the amount of choice that you were given to do stuff. Like, well, you could go in there and negotiate, or you could just shoot them in the face. Really? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but, uh, so many choices for little time. Exactly. But the thing is, <laughs> you and I can't talk about it in any detail because, you know, right now it's only just come out. So, spoilers, everyone. In fact, the mere mention of the fact that it's out is almost a spoiler. Uh, almost. It's, it's, yeah. it's right there. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm playing it on the PC, which I'm very happy to say. It's quite interesting. Lots of, um, every review I've seen, they comment on it sort of like stuttering and, and like, really? So, oh, it's because they're playing on the console. There seems to be a huge bias in the, in the industry <laughs> about about the console. Going, PC Master Race, please. Can we not talk about Ab- this? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, there, there must be a censorship of all console ships right now. <laughs> it's, I, find it, I find it very, very funny uh, to, to encounter that. Like every review, they always mention some glitch, and like I don't see any. Oh, gotcha. Sorry, my bad. You know, it's really weird. It's like we're not allowed to talk about. It. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's 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 a triumph of a game, and uh, you know uh, why Tomb Raider came out the same day. I don't know. Um, that was a kind of a stupid thing to do, but they did it anyway. Um, so, yes, there it is. Um, anything else you're playing at all? As of right now, um, I'm also actually doing a mod, Ooh. a mod made for Empire Total War, called Brother versus Brother. Or brothers versus brothers, I should say. Right. Um, and that's basically changing the Empire Total War Warpath uh, campaign map into the uh, towards the Civil War, and it's a whole pretty much total conversion of it to um, focus on that period. Okay, so does it? Can you modify the weapons in that game to a point where it's 
because it's set slightly earlier than the American Civil War, but not so slightly, not too far. So is it okay or what? what is well, it? um, <laughs> just just looking at um, how it works, um, yeah. I perhaps do have some reservations about what they did with the dismounted cavalry, as right. it was more reflecting the kind of Baker uh, rifle that they were using during the during around 1801, 1806, mm. um, and its loading procedure, when in fact they would have been using things like sharps at the very least, um, which were much quicker in a breech loader. So I did have a little reservation about that, but I understand that um, sometimes they can't get animators uh, when they need them. So uh, they did their best, and I'm certainly still enjoying the game, as they did increase the range on them. Yes. Um, in, in drastically, yeah, uh, and accuracy and the accuracy as well. Uh, yes, indeed. So um, anyway, so that's the first half over. Well done, you made it through. <laughs> um, so now I'm we're going through, Ethel. You were through. So let's move on <laughs> to the second half of the show, where we talk about war. question gives you a chance to actually pitch the game basically i ask uh, it's it's, a, it's basically a, a, a giver what is war of rights well as i mentioned at the start of this war of rights is a historical fps game much in the line of um something you might find on uh, mountain play napoleonic wars but it is set in the american civil war particularly the uh, maryland campaign of 1862 where you'll have both the north and the south fighting it out over the battlefields of antietam harper's ferry south mountain and shepherdstown trying to vie for victory for their side and it is as i mentioned a historical shooter meant to uh, glorify the period, or at least make sure that it is as historically authentic as possible for those that are playing. And this is going to be a team-based game, not so much based on the individual, though they are still important. And so, you will fight as regiments with the complete chain of command to make sure that you will enjoy the full experience of fighting as a Civil War soldier using Napoleonic tactics during the Civil War. Well, that answers a question I got later on. Um, the, the Napoleonic style. <laughs> I thought to myself, oh, is that right? Did they use Napoleonic style engagement? I can't remember. Was it something else? Did they call it something else? But no, you, the historian, as you said, called it that. So, okay, it is Napoleonic. I genuinely yes. thought it was something else. Forgive me for thinking that, but I thought, is it another term? Oh, 
no problem at all. <laughs> but yeah, they were still using the Napoleonic era tactics, even with the advancements in technology that they had had. Yes, as we discussed at length earlier, which is awesome, by the way. Indeed, we uh, did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my first sort of technical question for you um, is: we've hinted at this before, but it's not something we've really spoken about properly. Was that the weapons of the American Civil War were slow to load and quite inaccurate, really, in comparison to weapons that appeared ooh, ten years after it ended, um, especially in the First World War, uh, or maybe maybe even a the Boer War. But that's a discussion for another time. How did you... <laughs> so I know my history, so you don't know. Um, how did you... How have you represented this in the War of Rights to the, to the point where you don't compromise the player's enjoyment of the game? It sounds a bit twisted, but it's a game after all, so there's going to have to be some engagement with the player. And the last thing you want to do is they fire the gun and it just freaking misfires. What, what, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> well, in terms of how the weapons work in War of Rice, we have various weapons that we have, um, ranging from the rifled muskets to musketoons and carbines and um, proper rifles, all that good stuff. And all of them, are we're going to do our utmost to make sure that we have the actual correct ballistics engaged with each weapon. So that included uh, careful research into each weapon and how each weapon performed on the battlefield. And uh, so looking up the actual ballistics uh, for each one. Mm. So, for instance, with the 61 Springfield, it had a range of 500 yards or five football fields in length. Um, and you compare that to perhaps the British uh, P-53 Enfield. Uh, that was a good 900-yard range, or nine football fields. So it had quite a large range to it, and it was very accurate. Um, it was. However, that was certainly uh, dependent on the eyesight of the individual that was playing. Right. Now, unlike with other games that you might find where if you aim down the sight, suddenly you're zooming in like your eyeballs became binoculars, mm -hmm. with this one... Um, basically, you're going to have to depend on your iron sights, which is going to be what the majority of players will be using. Um, so, for instance, with the Enfield, you have the elevator sight, or with the Springfield, you have the leaf sight, where it flips up to either 100, 300, or up to 500-yard ranges. And you have to basically try and get as accurate as possible with those. Uh, so that will certainly hopefully help to engage players to try and figure out how to get the exact ranges that they need to. Um, and that'll also be uh, something that officers can help with to uh, basically gauge the ranges for their people to help them out a little bit, uh, though they're not exactly going to have too many tools to be able to do that. That's going to be more along their own discretion, okay. uh, along the lines of also they're having um, kind of the surround sound or the 3D um, voice play inside the game, much like you might find in Arma. In any case, the uh, VOIP, as I recall it being called. In any case, um, another thing to mention is that with each weapon and with each individual weapon, there is going to certainly be quite a bit of a learning experience and a learning curve mm. that will need to be dealt with as uh, the player engages with the weapon. Okay. But is, there, is it possible for the gun to misfire and stuff like that? Are you going to have that? Because it did it happen. Is, yeah. It is indeed. Uh, they are, for the majority of them, black powder weapons with just paper cartridges rather than the self-contained cartridges, which um, became more prominent after the Civil War, but were starting to be used during the Civil War and even a little bit prior. 
so it, they are going to get very dirty very quickly. Uh, just with even three shots, your rifle does tend to get a little gunked up. Uh, hence why you sometimes hear a few occasions where the soldiers actually would, on the battlefield, pee down the barrel a little bit and kind of uh, shake it around and then dump it out to try and get some of the s- stuff out so that they could continue loading. That Quite must fun. have done. That must have done the barrel so much good. Yeah, you. It's um quite extraordinary that they had. They that, like I said, the technology was around that they didn't have to do all that, and it would have made life a lot easier for them if they didn't. But there was a culture of saying, well, no, we don't have to deal with that tactically. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. how do we deal with uh, rapid fire weapons? They wouldn't have to line up at all. In fact, no one would. It would be chaos. Like, yeah, kind of like the First World War. In fact, it would, <laughs> it, it would have gone to trench warfare, probably, if they did. Well, uh, the trench warfare was actually first being uh, experimented with during the Civil War, and it was one of the founding reasons for why we went to trench warfare during World War I, because you had a lot of European observers that were looking at the um, trenches over at Petersburg or at the various sieges and going, that looks like a very good idea, let's try that sometime, <laughs> why not? <laughs> oh, I like my accent, by the way, yeah, I worked real hard on it. I'm sure uh, European listeners are enthralled by that. <laughs> Oh, they, they're clawing at their ears, I'm, I'm sure. I'm not sure if it was French, Belgian, or, or German. It was all over them. It was the all of them, wasn't it? It was all of them. It was all of them. Cool. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, uh, because, you know, when you, when you fire weapons in a video game, you expect it to fire. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing. Whereas, you know, these, uh, these, these weapons they were used at the time, they didn't always. So the next question is a bit of a controversial one, but I just want to get it out of the because I find it's the elephant in the room. Okay, I'll brace myself. Uh, the, the game is called War of Rights. Yes. It's an interesting title <laughs> because is this referring to the southern states' demand to keep slaves? I mean, is their right to keep a slave? Um, and is, isn't that kind of, are you concerned that it's kind of a, a politically charged thing to do? I'm just worried. Well, uh, shouldn't be. No, no, you have no worries to be worried. Uh, actually, I'm kind of glad you asked the question because you're actually the first person of all the interviews I've done that has actually asked the question. So I thank you for that. Okay. And the answer to your question is that, uh, no, it isn't um, that we're trying to advocate for states' rights or the right to keep slaves. That's not at all what we were advocating. Of course uh, not, but I just want you to explain, expand on this. Why? Right, I understand. The title War of Rights was definitely an attempt at neutrality. Basically, it was um, as we're endeavoring to just make a game, not make a political statement. Uh, so it's an endeavor to make something fun that's uh, engaging for everybody. And that included uh, a title that was rather neutral on the subject. Uh, so it could either mean, depending on the individual person, it could mean uh, the wanting to fight for states' rights, or it could mean wanting to fight for the rights of those that were impoverished and under the chains of slavery, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so it's very dependent on who you're talking to, really. Okay, so you're just being um, completely partisan and go, well, we're trying to, yes. Ultimately, that's what it was, was it? Yeah. Yes, it was. Okay, uh, and we talked about the British Civil War before we recorded. <laughs> and was that about right? Uh, uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it was certainly about Parliament 
Anyway, <laughs> um, Parliament wants its rights, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the rights of the rest of the populace. Anyway, um, but thanks for that. I just want to make that clear because it is, it's a title that it did have me shrink back a bit. No offence to yourself or your, oh, your the no, team no, no, in Denmark. No. It's just like, whoa, where you go with that? Because I, I know my history. I, I love it. I, I have great respect for it. We, you know, what, what one I always go back to, uh, um, you know, the, the mistakes. If one doesn't learn from mistakes of history, then you're doomed to repeat them. Uh, and I am very much a big advocate of that. So, yes, uh, as, as fascinating as history is, we don't want to learn. From, we don't want to repeat the mistakes made. Sadly, many of our politicians don't seem to understand that. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on from politics, uh, let's move on to uh, the historical setting, because you, you're very detailed. I love the way you battle off how detailed and where exactly where this battle is occurring. Well, not only that, but when. It's about a year into the uh, Civil War, isn't it? Because it started in, is it, uh, it's in, uh, it's Fort Sumter, isn't it? When, uh, in, is it April? Or is it a bit later, in 1861? It, it was April, yes. April. About the 14th of April, 1861, was when it was quote-unquote, officially declared, though even yeah. prior to that, you already had some states that were seceding. Yes, that's right. And But it was first shots properly fired, as they say. So yes, indeed. It's a particular engagement, particular battle, and um, this being a game, is it possible to play it out and a different outcome from what um, actually occurred to what will occur if you play the game, if you know what I mean? Yes, it is. It's certainly going to be a possibility because, yet again, it is supposed to be a game and it wouldn't be too fun always having to be the losing side. No. Uh, Who did actually win this one? As Confederates. Oh, right. So the Confederates did actually lose this one, did they? Quote unquote. It was more of a tactical victory for the Union than it was um, an actual victory. It was more of a draw in terms of Antietam. Uh, though I could suppose you might say that South Mountain was technically a victory as well, though yet again, much more of a tactical or strategic one than a physical one. So that's why you, one of the reasons why you chose this engagement? Well, part of the reason why we chose the Maryland campaign was, yet again, endeavoring on that neutral ground. We wanted to start off with something that was very much in the line of a neutral playing field for either side where it was such a turning point during the Civil War. Prior to that, the South was almost rampaging through the war. They were just winning battle after battle. <coughs> Excuse me. And then with the Battle of Antietam, you finally saw a change to the tide, a change where the Union started to get some wins in there as well, as well as the announcement of the Emancipation Proclamation and the kind of the death knell to the Confederates possibly getting any sort of European support uh, because of um, slavery being made the official cause. Right. Yeah, that did change things quite drastically. Yes, uh, indeed. And... Uh, Yes, the the whole British uh, engagement with it was uh, <laughs> it was very interesting to say the least. People don't oh yeah don't don't seem to realise how hostile we were to the United States at that time. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll say you guys make some great ships. Yes, we, we did. But, you know, it was you know eighteen fifteen uh, that happened. People don't seem to realise that. But anyway, that's a thing. Um, <laughs> I'm loving this. Um, so, final, <laughs> final question for you. Um, uh, I know it's sad. You know, all good things come to an end. But uh, we do have to end at some point. As did the Civil War, thankfully. Um, yes. 
combat during the Civil War adopted a Napoleonic style of engagement, as we established, thanks to the use of muzzle-loaded rifles. Again, again, we've spoken about before, but this one I'll talk about a gameplay mechanic here. So this requires a company-wide, maybe it's not the right word, but company-wide cooperation in order to execute properly. Yes, how, indeed, several companies. Yeah, several companies. So um, how will War of Rights represent this without dehumanizing the player? In other words, because that's the point of it, you, you're just one one person along the line of others. Um, probably not a right term, but you know what I mean. How do you make a cog that, in the machine? A so cog in the machine, an important cog. Um, yes, how are you going to manage that in War of Rights? Well, the <laughs> as you mentioned, the Napoleonic tactics was not so much about the individual, certainly much more along the lines of the group being most important. And that's going to make it so that, yes, there is going to be quite a bit more focus on group play or team play than there is about the individual player. But that being said, it is quintessential that each and every player do their part. Uh, for instance, if you are just a private or if you're the flag bearer or if you're the captain, um, just to name a few of the various ranks that are available just on the company, let alone the regimental brigade, um, division, corps, army, the individual player is certainly very, very important to each and every action that happens on the battlefield because you have to consider that let's say we're talking about the historical battle mode where we're playing over the entirety of the map you have the major general back at the headquarters who is seeing the absolute entirety of the map um basically via his little map that he has on the table his uh, field map so to speak and he's seeing his regiment's locations as well as the locations of any enemy regiments that his regiments have spotted for him. And that message has been relayed back to his headquarters. He is then able to issue orders to the various regiments as to what to do, uh, which then goes on down the chain of command to go down to the individual uh, commanders, whether it would be perhaps a captain or if he's out, then a first lieutenant, or if he's out, then the second lieutenant. And so they then have the opportunity to look at that order and go, yes, I'll or follow it, or no, I won't follow it. I want to do something else because the uh, situation has changed in the minute or so it's taken for the order to reach me, or um, there's a opportunity that I want to do, or I just want to ramble with my regiment. Why not? Um, but that being said those changes will affect the entirety of the rest of the battle. So if one regiment goes off on its own keel and gets itself killed, that could open up a very dangerous opening in the line that the enemy general will then be able to exploit. Right. So the individual is certainly important, even if um, it is more focused on the gameplay of a group. Right. And you did say it's a team game. So yes, it's, indeed. It should be quite fun hearing people... Yeah, and we just recently released the information about our company creation tool that we're also going to be including both in the game as well as in our forums that will allow players to get together and form those companies necessary and get the training and all the requirements and to get a successful company going. Fantastic. And it's going to happen because it got funded today. Indeed we did. We're very excited. And not only that, we have already been green-lighted as well, so those of you that are Steam players will be able to engage in this and have a, quite a bit of fun once we get to that stage. That's fantastic.
fantastic. And it's due out when, do you think? 2017, 16, do you think? Or? <laughs> well, we're looking to have the first iteration, the stage one, or the uh, skirmishes phase one, which is going to be the closed alpha. That's going to be out hopefully within the next six months, once the uh, end of the Kickstarter campaign in two days uh, from there. And after that, then you have the Phase 2 skirmishes and the Phase 3 skirmishes, which will include on the latter half the early access on Steam. So, uh, more than likely, probably the end of um, 2016, if not towards the middle or end of 2017, is when the final game, or at least the early alpha, will be accessible. Okay. Well, that's the goal. So, yeah. Good. Yeah, though no guarantee is given. No, no, that's why I'm hesitant to ask. And it's coming yes. out for Windows PC? It is indeed, yes. Uh, we, at the moment, don't really have too much plans to expand to Linux or Mac, no. uh, but we'll see about it in the future. Okay. Um, it's quite an interesting time with regards to Steam, because the Steam Link box is out, and the controller's <laughs> out now, which I have Absolutely. Got, which I have got, and, uh, yeah... <laughs> I need convincing. Um, tried to play Dota on it once and it didn't work out so well. Um, so and it's PC Master Race. Yeah, PC Master Race. What are you going to do? <laughs> One wanted, of us. I wanted, to, I wanted to play Dota on on uh, my big TV, and it's like it worked to a point, but uh, yeah, maybe not. Um, I understand. Yeah, Clark, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so very much for being on it. It's uh, been very. Uh, enthusiastic in sharing your knowledge as have I of uh, respective histories um, <laughs> enthusiasm about certainly we've gone from you know Japanese a little bit with the Shogun and the classical a little bit as well and of course Arthurian which isn't even real but <laughs> we are all over the place we are jacks of all trades really yes which is why people listen um, but um, <laughs> I wish you the very best of luck in your future endeavours with this game or anything else you work on Relating to video games, I'm sure maybe this will be a launch pad for other other avenues um, because, uh, like I said, um, uh, there's not enough video games certain uh, on certain aspects of history. Um, I know, granted, Assassin's Creed has had a go, but ultimately it's all a bit silly uh, <laughs> uh, because it's not real. You know, you're in a virtual reality environment, and when you have glitches in that game, you go, "Oh yeah, well, don't worry, that's because it's all VR." Like, oh, God's sake. So, <laughs> so, blame the Matrix. That's blame, what we got to blame here. Blame the Matrix and the fact that <laughs> uh, we're making a yearly release of this ridiculous franchise. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's just uh, very refreshing to see. And it's, you know, the fact that crowdfunding and uh, indie the game development and the lowering of the, the, the barrier of game creation has come together to allow us to make games like this now. That's what I think has happened. That's why I wanted to have you on the show to, to really illustrate to everyone, A, it's a great game, and B, to illustrate that it's okay to make games about what you'd normally go, no, this would never work. Actually, no, it will, and people do want it, as has been proven by Kickstarter. You know, and, and there's, there's many other, like Papers, Please, is a great example, I think. <laughs> you make a game about a border control guard? Really? And <laughs> they did! And it's one of the most celebrated indie games uh, of recent times and it's because it's an awesome game it's very dark and very in fact it's not particularly entertaining actually it makes you feel bad but ultimately it's 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 an important part of history and uh, yes, yes. you know it's from the 80s and when things got really bad and that's why all the whole of Eastern Europe imploded that's a whole thing it's a whole thing 
And here you are talking about one specific battle in one very bloody and awful conflict. Quite frankly, should never have happened. I'm not sure of your opinion on that, but it shouldn't have happened. In fact, most wars shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, but it did, and uh, we all learned from it. At least, at least we tried to. But maybe we learned the wrong lessons. Who knows? So well, we're absolutely excited by all the support that everybody's been giving us, and we certainly look forward to more support in the future. Indeed. So, Clark, thank you very much. Have a great day. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory, and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter, at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show, and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!